Well, we've been in a sermon series where we've been looking at the life of Moses in the Old Testament. Moses is one of the major figures of all the scriptures and particularly of the Old Testament. So we've been looking at, uh, at his life over the last month and a half. And today we, call, we come to what I would call one of the most rewatchable or rereadable scenes in all of the Bible. As we look at this amazing scene where God, through Moses, parts the Red Sea so that his people can pass through it and be rescued from the Egyptians. And so for, for some of us, this is a familiar story. For others of us, if you're new, you may be like, this is the craziest story I've ever heard. But wherever you are, I want to invite you now um, to slow down and to hear this. I'm going to read this passage for us that we're going to look at today um, and then pray before we dive into it. And it's a pretty long passage, but it's really important for us to get it before us. So if you want to follow along, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 10, going all the way through verse 31. And you can find it up here on the screen and also in your bulletin. And so here now, God's word to us today. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lift up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, is it, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them 
on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Let's pray together. Father, your word tells us that we are transformed as we behold your glory. And we ask now that you would help us to do that, that you uh, would give us your spirit and wherever we are, Lord, you would help us to see who you are more clearly today. Um, Through this time, through this service, even now through this passage, that we would be able to behold your glory in a new way and therefore be transformed in the exact ways we need it. I ask that you would come and help uh, us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after practice one day on Saturday, June 23rd, 2018, 12 boys and their coach from a soccer team in northern Thailand called the Wild Boars uh, decided to go exploring in some of the local caves nearby. And as you can expect from a group of teenage boys, their adventure began with excitement as they entered the cave, and their plan was to explore these caves for a few hours and to have some fun and then to come back out and go enjoy the rest of their normal Saturday night. However, that's not what happened. Because a short time after they went in, it started to rain, and really rain, and it didn't stop. The rain kept pouring and pouring in until they were trapped underground in this cave with the increasing amount of rainwater flowing in and blocking them from their exit. There was no way out. And if you know the story, you know this then led to one of the greatest rescue operations of all time as all different kinds of people with all different kinds of gifts and abilities from all over the world came together to, to find a way to get these boys out, which they did as on July 10th, they brought out the last four boys and their coach, a stunning 17 days later. It's an incredible story. But if you think back to that Saturday when the boys first went into the cave, what started as joy and excitement quickly became a nightmare. What started with promise became an impossible situation that required an improbable rescue. And now that's where we find Moses and the people of Israel here in our passage today. Because as we saw last week, the people of Israel have finally been set free. After 430 long years of slavery in Egypt, God's tenth and final plague, the Passover was severe enough to finally convince Pharaoh to let them go. And so they were free, and so there was joy, there was celebration, excitement, hope, until they got here. With an even angrier, more motivated Pharaoh bearing down on them. They're trapped between him and the Red Sea. They have nowhere to go. What began with so much promise was now an impossible situation. But what's so fascinating about this passage is God is the one who led them here. And that's where this is a lot different than the cave situation, right? It's not like their coach intentionally led them in here so that they could get trapped. No, they just, they just went in and it happened. But God does this on purpose, And at the beginning of chapter 14, God, he tells Moses, you see this because he tells Moses exactly where to go. He says, here's where you're supposed to camp. 
And then he tells him that when Pharaoh gets word of where they are, here's what he'll say, chapter 14, verse 3. He'll say, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. They're stuck. What are they doing? And God says this, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And so God sets this up. He puts them, he puts his people in this impossible situation. And what I've been thinking about this week, and what I want us to think about together today as we look at this, is why? Why does God do this? Why isn't this just the end of the story when he, he delivers them in the Passover? Like, why does, why does he bring them to this? And there are a lot of different ways you could answer this question, but at least one, question, one answer I want to suggest to us today is that God does this because he wants to teach them what it's like to follow him, to walk with him, to have him as their God. Now that he's saved them, they're his. They don't belong to Pharaoh anymore. They belong to God. And so he wants to begin to teach them what that's like. And so we're going to think about this today in terms of what it's like to follow God, what this passage teaches you and me about following God once he's delivered us and brought us into the freedom of relationship with him. And as we walk through it in that way, we're going to look at three things as we do, really three movements here of what it's like to follow God. And so we'll start with the first one, which is this, that following God often means being brought to the end of yourself. It's the first thing we see here, that following God, it often means being brought to the end of yourself. And so our family went back to Weaverville, where I grew up, for the weekend back in December, a few weeks before Christmas. And while we were there in some of the spare time, I ended up looking back at some old books that I had as a kid. And I ran across this big green hardback book that I remembered, and I was excited to find it. Uh, it was a hardback collection of the fairy tales and folk tales of Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm. And I was excited to find it because I had this idea that I could bring it back home and give it to my daughter May for Christmas. I knew she loves stories like this, and so we did, and her and I have been reading it together somewhat voraciously since then, almost every night reading these stories. And at the end of most of these stories, either after the prince and the princess get married, or the villain is defeated, or the person who is turned into stone is turned back into human, there's some version of the line, they lived happily ever after. Or more formally, in the 19th century language of this book, they were contented for all the remainder of their days. And I know that makes a good story, and I know what they mean, but I think it's the pastor in me. It's kind of ruined me in this way. Like every time I read that, it's almost hard for me to read it because I want to say, like, that's not realistic, right? That, that, that's, not, that's not how it works. That's not how it works in general, but that's also not how it works following God, right? Once He saves us. You know, like, like you, do, you do know everything will end up okay. But it's not all easy all the time, like we wish it was. And, and God brings these people to the absolute end of themselves in this moment. I mean, these, these are weary and burdened people. These are broken people. These are people who've been the victims of injustice and oppression from the nation of Egypt for a long time. And so leading them out like God is doing is almost like trying to go for a, a walk with a, a dog who's been beaten and abused, and it's got its tail between its legs, and it's going to take some time for that dog to learn, learn that it's free, right? To, to learn that, that it's okay. 
And so to lead them to this place is a terrifying experience for them. To look up from their camp and to see Pharaoh, their chief oppressor, bearing down on them, it's like no wonder they're so scared. And no wonder they say what they do to Moses. So verse 10 tells us that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And I've always read this and, and sort of wanted to crush them. Like, man, how faithless is that? How illogical, how irrational. After all that they've seen, how can they say this? But what I've realized, spending more time with this this week, is it, it's so human. Like, yes, it is faithless. It is illogical. It is irrational after what they've seen. Technically, it's not a good way to respond, but it's human. And it's honest, right? And it's what you and I do when we're afraid, when we feel vulnerable. And by definition, the people are very vulnerable here. Back in verse 7, the story tells us as Pharaoh was coming, he was coming at them with 600 chariots. And chariots were the super weapon at the time. They were the most advanced piece of military technology there was. And the people of Israel didn't have anything like that. So they're here at the end of themselves from their perspective, this is hopeless. It, it, it actually might be better to go back to Egypt and, and be slaves there until they die. And here's the point. That's right where God wants them in this moment. That's exactly where he leads them. And this is right where God so often leads us too. He leads us into situations where we feel vulnerable, where we feel out of our depth, where we're afraid out of our comfort zone, into situations that require more faith than we have at the moment, situations that at least cause us to think what they have the courage to say, God, would you just leave me alone? It would have been so much easier if you never got involved with me, if you never got involved and started meddling in my life. And sometimes for me at night, when the day is over and I slow down and there's space for all the stuff I'm anxious and afraid about to rise to the surface, all my responsibilities, everything God's called me into that I don't feel prepared for will hit me. And I'll find myself thinking, sometimes saying out loud, like, I, I can't do all this. Like, can't I just leave and, and like go do something else? It might sound weird, but I'll think, can't we just go and, and live in a cabin somewhere in the woods? Which I would actually hate, by the way, if I did that. But it's my version of this. Like, God, would you just leave me alone? And if you've been following God any time at all, you know what this feels like. And the longer you've been following him, the more you know this is what he's constantly doing to varying degrees. He's calling you into things that are too big for you. He's stretching you. He's bringing you to the end of yourself. Just like he does his, his newly saved people here. And what this story shows us is this isn't arbitrary, that he doesn't do this for no reason, that he's actually, he's up to something when he does this in our lives. And this brings us then to the second thing about the experience of, experience of following God that we can learn from this passage, and it's this, that 
that following God is an invitation to watch him fight for you. So much of the time, that's what it is. It's an invitation to watch him fight for you. Old Testament scholar Michael Barrett says about what God's up to here, quote, in his all-wise providence, God brought his people to a place where they had to acknowledge they were doomed without him. And so God brings them to this place where all they can do is watch him do something. And this is what Moses tells them to do. It's how he responds to what they say. In verse 13, he says to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And I love this verse so much. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. And this is at a time when warriors in battle would, would yell out together a battle cry. And Moses is like, you don't even have to open your mouth and God's going to fight for you. All you have to do is watch what he's going to do. And then you see this play out in this miraculous scene with the parting of the Red Sea. So God tells Moses what to do. He tells him to lift up his staff, stretch out his hands over the sea, and he will divide it. And then the people are to cross. Then he makes Pharaoh and his chariots go in after them. And when they're too far to make it back to the shore, God clogs their wheels and he throws them into panic mode. And then when, the, when Moses and the people make it to the other side, he tells them to lift back up his staff, stretch back out his hands, and he'll cause the sea to go back like it was, washing Pharaoh and all their enemies away just like that. And then verse 30 summarizes saying, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And in verses 17 and 18, God told Moses all of this was so that he could show off his glory. Verse 17, he says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And so along with the release of Creed III, which, is the, which was the uh, third installment of the spinoff series from the Rocky movies, featuring Apollo Creed's son Adonis, that came out at the beginning of this month, the New York Times put out an article interview with co-stars Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, and the article was titled, How Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors Fought Harmoniously. And in it, both guys talked about how two stars like them were able to put aside their egos to help each other shine and ultimately to make the film what it became. And particularly, Jonathan Majors was impressed by the way Michael B. Jordan, who's the, the, the bigger star of the two at the moment, was actually the director of the movie, was willing to do this. And uh, Jordan said he told Majors when he was pitching the role to him, quote, I want to glorify you. I want to give you the space and room to do your thing. And Majors couldn't believe that a star of his magnitude would do this for him in his own film. And so he said, quote, it was mind altering for me. I just thought there's no way. And now, as beautiful as this was for Michael B. Jordan to do this for Jonathan Majors in the setting of this movie, God was not about to do that for someone like Pharaoh, this tyrant who's harmed his people for so long. This fight wasn't about sharing any glory with him, but it was about showing it off to Moses and to his fledgling people because God knew this is what they need in this moment. More than comfort, 
more than security, more than a sense of competence and control. What they need is to see God's glory, to see his glory in fighting for them like this, protecting them like this. When they didn't do anything, when they didn't lift a finger, when they didn't deserve it or earn it in any way, he wanted to show them, this is the God you're following. The God who's leading you is is a mission impossible God who lives for situations like this. And see, when, when you and I are at the end of ourselves, that's what we need to. We don't need to run away or figure out how to manage everything, but what we need is we need to see the glory of God. We need to see how big God is. We need to see how, how beautiful he is and, and the way he fights for us, how he comes through in the clutch of our lives. And maybe it's, it's not splitting the Red Sea in half. Maybe it's not that dramatic. Usually it's not, but it's in, maybe it's in him providing for you when you really need it. When you really need a job, when you really need a house, when you really need a friend, when you really need a mentor. Maybe it's him protecting you from something, protecting you from someone, protecting you sometimes from yourself. Maybe it's him opening a door, closing a door, revealing something to you when you've been confused. It can be big, it can be small. On Thursday this week, a friend gave me some encouragement out of nowhere that I really needed, that really lifted me up. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Like, you knew I needed that. Right, and and this doesn't mean God always fights and, and comes through for you in the exact way you want him to, when you want him to. The Bible is, is clear about that, so let's not make this story say something the Bible as a whole doesn't. But the scriptures do say when you belong to God, he is working everything out for your good. So in that sense, he is fighting for you all the time. And in most situations, when you get enough time and perspective, you can eventually see that, even if you don't and, and aren't able to see it when it's happening. See, when you walk with God and you start paying attention and being curious about what he's doing, you start to see this verse 14 playing out all over the place. God fighting for you. God showing you his glory. And all you have to do is be still. And I know I've enjoyed this week thinking about this in light of this passage for myself and how I've seen God fight for me in different ways recently or throughout the story of my life. So I'd encourage you, that might be a good exercise to do this afternoon or this week. And so this is what God does. And, and then what does this result in? Well, at the end of the day, it leads to trust. And, and that's the last movement here we see in this story, that following God, lastly, is an exercise in trust. It's about trust. That's what God's after. That's his goal, that we would trust him. That's what he's doing. He puts us in these situations where we come to the end of ourselves. And then when we're there, he says, hey, watch what I'm going to do for you. Experience this. See my salvation in your life. And then he says, trust me. Give me all of you. Let me be your God. Take your trust out of yourself and what you can see and put it in me and where I'm leading you. Think about these people. In verse 10, when this all begins, Moses tells us that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And what did they do? They feared greatly. But then after all this happens, after this unforgettable rescue experience of God fighting for them, verse 31 tells us that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, and so the people did what? 
Who'd they fear? They feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. When they see the glory of God like they did, they no longer feared Pharaoh, but they feared the Lord. They believed in him and in his servant Moses. They trusted him. And as we'll see, this is far from a perfect trust. Like they'll continue to relapse and, and struggle in their faith. They'll waver big time. But God here begins to bring them along. He, he begins to bring them into this lifelong journey of trusting him, of depending on him more and more, walking by faith and not by sight as they wander through the wilderness. And that's the journey he brings you and I on as his people as we wander through the wilderness of this world, a lifelong journey of trust, trusting him in deeper ways with more and more parts of us and our stories and our hopes and our dreams. In his book, Ruthless Trust, Brendan Manning, he tells the story of asking one of his former seminary students about the life of following God. And he calls this student um, the most brilliant student he'd ever taught. And uh, he went on to live this, this interesting life, ironically, of living six months in a cabin deep in the woods of the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. Uh, but then for the other six months of the year, he would travel preaching the gospel for this nonprofit organization called Food for the Poor. And this is how Brennan Manning recounts asking him this question. He says, Gus, could you define the Christian life in a single sentence? He didn't even blink before responding, Brennan, he said. I can define it in a single word, trust. See, that's what God's after. That's what he's after with the people here. That's what he's teaching them about in this improbable rescue. And it's what he's after with you and me. It's what he also wants to teach us through this story as we look at it. It's what he wants to teach us through our own experiences of him fighting and coming through for us. But most of all, it's what he wants to teach us through our improbable rescue story. The story this one points us to, the greatest way we've seen God fight for us and show us his glory, the even better way that God through his servant would lead us to a victory we don't deserve. As we've talked about in this series, one of the things Moses does as we look at his life is he's supposed to point us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the true servant of God. And, and this passage is a great example of how he does that because Moses has been a negative example in a lot of this story so far. But here he's a good example because over and against the unfaithfulness of the people, Moses does stand firm. He does stay strong. He does trust God. He's backed up against the Red Sea too. He's at the end of himself as well, but he doesn't respond like they do. Because remember, he's the one who tells them, fear not. Stand firm, trust God, watch what he's about to do as he fights for you, as he rescues you. See, he's the faithful, trusting Israelite here. And in that way, he points us to Jesus, who as the, the sinless son of God was and is always faithful, always trusting. And Jesus was brought by, Jesus too was brought by God to the end of himself. He was brought to the edge of a situation so impossible it caused him to sweat drops of blood as he looked forward to it. A situation that was so overwhelming, when he got there on the cross, he cried out this great cry of abandonment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But instead of God coming to fight for him like he did here for Moses and the people of Israel to deliver them from their enemies, he left them 
all alone. He let what Jesus feared the most come down on him. The water in this passage, it represents the judgment of God, the judgment that comes down on Pharaoh and the Egyptians while Moses and the people go free. Well, on the cross, God's judgment comes down on Jesus, the perfectly faithful and trusting one, so that people like you and me can go free, so that we can be delivered from the ultimate enemies, the ultimate tyrants of sin and death. See, the Red Sea story is an amazing rescue, but it doesn't compare to the rescue story of the gospel. It's the most impossible situation and the most improbable rescue. God coming down, taking our place, rescuing sinners like us while we don't lift a finger. It's the example of God fighting for us. And there's nothing more glorious you could ever see. A God who's, who's this holy and this powerful and yet a God who's also this loving and this good. And when you see this, what you see is you see a God who's worthy of your trust. The more you see this, the more you see a God you wanna give everything for, a God you want to follow, no matter where he leads you. And so I wanna ask you, what's keeping you from trusting him today? What's keeping you from following him? Like we said, the life of following God is hard. Let's not get it confused. Trusting God is not easy. But when you do what Moses says, when you stand firm and you watch him work in your life, when you see the salvation he's won for you in Jesus, and you know you're going to make it through to the end, you can begin to do it. You too can do what the people here did at the end. You can see this and you can also believe in the Lord and put your trust in his servant, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you love us and the way you lead us, um, even when it's hard, even when we don't understand it. But we pray that you would help us to see here um, that even when you're doing that, you're always doing something better. And help us to see, I pray that you'd help us to see that, um, the ways you've done that in our lives, the ways you've been doing that for us recently. But most of all, uh, as we said, help us to see that the way you've done for that for us in and through Jesus and the great rescue, bringing us back to yourself. I pray that as we, we would be able to see that and see your glory, that we would be transformed and we would be people of trust. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.